you are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the New Release Today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the podcast this week. It sure means a lot that you choose to spend time with me and my guest. I sure don't take that time for granted. Each week, I conduct more interviews for this podcast. In fact, this week, I have three conversations scheduled that I'm pretty excited about. And each week, I send an email to my contributors, giving them the opportunity to suggest things for me to talk about with my guests. And I'd like to invite you to be a part of that list. If you'd like to become part of the question crew, all you need to do is send a donation of any amount. You can do that using the donate link over at christianmusicarchive.com. When your contribution comes in, I add you to the list of esteemed individuals helping write questions. Won't you consider helping sustain the work I'm doing both on this podcast and on the website? Head over to christianmusicarchive.com donate. And thanks in advance. I really appreciate your support. Okay, enough about business. Let's get to this week's interview right after this word from Mercy, Inc. We'll get to our interview in just a minute, but I'm excited to first tell you about the work of Mercy, Inc. in Colombia. They have a project there called Soy Satura, which is helping feed kids who are crossing the border from Venezuela to go to school. You see, the schools in Venezuela are not very good, so moms are taking their kids to school in Colombia where they can get a decent education. Now, the Colombia government is willing to provide an education to these kids, but they won't feed them like they do the Colombian children. And most of these kids from Venezuela are from really poor families that don't even have money to feed their kids. So Mercy Inc. is taking soybeans to create both food and juice that they are able to feed these kids, sometimes the only meal they will get in a day. I sure would like to share more about the Soy Satura project and how you can get involved. Would you head over to the website christianmusicarchive.com slash mercy so you can learn how you can help feed these kids? Our intent is to make a difference around the world through this podcast. And one of the ways we do that is through the work of Mercy Inc. So again, head over to christianmusicarchive.com slash mercy and discover how you can make a difference to the children of Venezuela. Buck Storm is an author who has penned numerous fiction and nonfiction books. His current book, The Sound the Sun Makes, follows the adventures of Detective Early Pines into the world of Hollywood. He's also written Finding Jesus in Israel, an off-the-bus peek at people and places that make Israel such an amazing destination. But as a listener, I can hear you already saying, wait a minute, Dave, I thought this was a music podcast. Well, never fear. Buck is also an accomplished musician. In addition to his solo projects, he's collaborated with the likes of Randy Stonehill, Bob Bennett, and Phil Kagey. And so let's get to know a little bit more about this Renaissance man. Welcome to the Christian Music Archive, Buck Storm. Welcome, Buck. Hey, thank you. That was a very nice introduction. I think it was mostly true, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) probably 80%, I would say. (laughs) We'll have to figure out which 80%, right? No, that's that's nice. Thank you. You 
actually started music before you actually started writing. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I've been I've started music way back in the um, 80s, actually. Um, I had a band when I was in high school and uh, grew up in Arizona, Yuma, Arizona, and uh, landed in L.A. because that's where the music was happening mm -hmm. uh, by way of New York and street music in New York. And so that's a whole long story. But anyway, wound up in Los Angeles with some buddies playing playing music. Yeah. And uh, so it's been a long, long, long haul with music for me. And uh, it's really one of my first loves. So are you still doing music? I uh, The last thing I saw was 2016, I think it was, was Blue Sky and Acoustic Collection. Is that your most recent solo project? Yeah, that was an interesting kind of thing. We uh, I recorded that mostly just on a computer on the road, um, kind of in hotel rooms and, mm. and pieces as I was traveling. And because I've always wanted to just kind of put together a... a acoustic thing but yeah so that's been a while um and then after that i sort of got really really busy with some writing and so the road the road uh situation um slowed down quite a bit other than sure. kind of one-off you know concert things here and there but yeah lately the last uh, six months or so my son who's a worship leader at a, at a local church here we've we've put a band together called the buckley storms and uh um, that's been a blast. I mean, we're we're out playing all over the place. It's become quite a scene here in Coeur d'Alene, uh, where we're from. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just went into the studio with him, and and so I'm just kind of watching the the torch pass to the next generation of actually talented people, and it's it's really cool to see. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we yeah. were talking a little bit before we pushed record about the fact that you know a lot of good music is coming from Christians in the main marketplace rather than just Christian musicians making Christian music. So that's kind of what you're doing with Buckley Storm, right? Yeah. You know, I, I have a theory that um, we can really get wrapped up in the, in the Christian kind of ghetto, you know, get really into our, into our narrow uh, uh, groove. And I don't know, you know, when I, when I look back and see really the way Christ walks the earth, you know, and, and how he really got down into the, the, the stink and the, the grit and the, you know, the, uh, the filth of humanity. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that's what we're doing, but I, I am saying that I think you have to let yourself uh, live some of the human experience outside of the, yeah. uh, the Christian market, I guess I would say, you know, and, and, and there might, there might at times um, be quite a, quite a dichotomy between um, Christianity and the Christian market. It just depends on, on the times and the place. But. Well, and I've, I think we, especially in Western culture have kind of made church a country club where we go and we hang out, and, you know, rather than the locker room where we're getting prepped to, to, to go do battle, as it were, out in the mainstream. And I think that's one of the things that we as Western culture are missing. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've gone through my uh, my ups and downs, even recently, and especially maybe recently, with uh, with really questioning uh, so much of what's happening in the church. And, and, and you talk about Western culture, especially. I mean, when you, you know, I was just having coffee with a good friend the other morning who's uh, another... Uh, very, very experienced Israel traveler. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we were talking about being in Israel and he was explaining um, an experience he had being in the synagogue one day. Uh, he, he was invited to, for Shabbat to the synagogue, which is pretty okay. unusual for a Westerner right. to you know, Jerusalem to be invited. And so he said, you know, going in, not speaking Hebrew, other than being able to say good morning and hello, you know, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, he, was, he was one of the things that really moved and surprised him was that he, you know, it was it, this the synagogue was like in this big U shape, and there was a table in the middle, like you could probably picture, you know, where they bring the scrolls, mm -hmm. the scrolls down, bring the twelve down, and they start reading. And he said he, with he, you know, he had no idea who the who the head rabbi even was. It was just like this big interactive. Everybody's there reading, they're discussing, they're talking, they're praying, and 
you know, so, I mean, you look at that from, from like an Eastern culture to where we've gone in the West with our Western church, which is very performance driven, you know, you've got celebrity pastors on, but I also, and so I can, it's very easy for anybody uh, to get bitter about that. And I, I hear a lot about the bitterness, but, you know, I also have to step back and say, well, Jesus works with us in us and, and uh, in our culture and where we are today. So I don't ever like to beat up the church or the, you know, Western church, Eastern, you know, anything like right. that. I think Jesus will meet us and work with us. Um, so yeah, it's called a, a personal savior. So we're all on that personal walk. We're all on that, that journey. And I, I find that I feel like I'm getting stupider every day. Um, <laughs> Where I used to be a genius, believe me, I could, you know, I could debate and talk and, uh, you know, maybe argue you into my point of view. Yeah. And then, hey, then I be right. And you get to still be the same guy you ever were. You know, it didn't, yeah. we haven't progressed anywhere, you right. know. And now I realize, I, I don't know, I think God is so big and so huge. Uh, I mean, I think he's bigger than the church. I think he's bigger than even scripture. And I, yeah. and I think scripture is infallible and I love scripture. But God is so massive that every day I'm just sort of wondering, you know. And uh, maybe I, maybe as I progress in years and stuff, I, I I start to look at, you know, the future and think, man, I mean, I just don't think I know anything, you know. Well, and as I've been doing these conversations and talking with a lot of people, I'm recognizing a lot of different, very realistic truths that I'm hearing from people, and realizing that God is uh, like a diamond. There's so many facets that. I'm looking at one or maybe two. You're looking at one or maybe two. Maybe maybe they're the same facets, but probably they're not. And I think God, like you said, is so much bigger than anything that we can understand. Our our measly pea brains <laughs> couldn't comprehend everything that is God. Yeah, yeah. And it's such an odd time in, especially in uh, in America right now, where everybody's you know shooting spit spit wads across the aisle, and everybody's angry. and And I see it in the church. You know, I mean, we live in North yeah. Idaho. You know, mm-hmm. which, as you can imagine, is uh, is very, very, uh, for the most part, very right, right wing. And, and so you have here a lot of politics getting mixed up with churchianity in, in yep. and you see that a lot. And but you also see the other side, too. And, you know, I don't know, I, I've I've really been um, hunting hard for love these days. And I, I'm, I, that's what I, I want to press into that, because one thing I do know, there's so many things that I feel I don't know. Yeah. But the one thing I do know is that in my life from a very, very young child, I have known the love of God Um, going through a a childhood that wasn't wonderful. Like so many people have um, the one constant. And I, I can't explain this other Mm -hmm. than it has to be supernatural. The one constant has always been God's love in my life Mm -hmm. and God's presence in my life. And that even goes for the times I was being an absolute idiot and running far from the Lord and being, I mean, lucky to be alive at times, but I, I've always known he was there looking over my shoulder and I was, I've always felt his love. That has been a constant. And I think, and I know that that will always be a constant, even when this world is a distant and, and all our political crap, you know, mm-hmm. everything we, we fight about and, and, and think is so important right now, even when that's a distant memory, God's love will still be the constant. So that's the one thing I can be sure of. Everything else, I don't know. Well, let me press into that, and I don't necessarily need to have details unless you're wanting to share them, but how how were you able, in the wallowing in that muck of life, to sense yeah. that God's love was there with you? I mean, what was that? What did that feel like? Because a lot of people right now says, I don't even think God loves me anymore. 
So what was yeah. what was that for you? Um, I, I think for me it was uh, it, it's changed through the seasons. I mean, as a child, uh, living with different relatives, as my parents were spinning out and doing weird things, and you know, and um, I always seemed to have God present. I remember um, just a, a just a quick story. Being really really young, I think I was maybe fifth grade, and I was living um, not with my parents and going and going to a new school and. and uh, there was a, a Bible on a shelf. And I remember, I remember at that, even at that young age saying, Hey, you know what, if you're real, I sure like to hear from you because I, mm-hmm. I was scared. I was alone. Uh, and I remember, um, I, I opened the Bible, did the old, old open my Bible, close, close my eyes, put my thing. And, uh, and the first thing I said, is, says, I have not given you a spirit of fear, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and, and, and that was my first, my first real sense as a child that I can remember going, wait a minute, there's some really something to this. This uh-huh. isn't, this isn't fake. And, and, uh, and I've seen that through the years, you know, um, gosh, so many, so many ways. I think one thing I have seen is God protecting and even blessing me when I least deserved it. Hmm. I mean, really when he should have been just punting me off a cliff, <laughs> uh, I, I I've seen him take me into my arms and rescue me in so many ways that I, I, I just can't deny the fact that he was there and present and real. Um, even when I, I was in pretty much in pretty open rebellion to him, you know? So, I mean that, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, like I said, it, I think it's different for everybody. I think it's a personal, it's a personal walk, but in my life, that's the way it's been. I've just, things have happened. Circumstances have come about that, there's no explanation. They're, they're just too unreasonable yeah. to not be supernatural, to not be miraculous, you know? Yeah. And so I've seen that over and over again in my life. Well, and you talked about earlier uh, the, the seeking of love. And, and as I read the scripture, that boils it all down. Jesus boils it down to two things, love God and love others. And, Absolutely. and yeah. what, what does that look like? I think that's what we're all probably for the last millennia and more been trying to figure out what does it mean to love God and love others and so yeah and then, you know it sounds like the simple the simple uh you know dictate but how do you do that man yeah I mean there most people are not very lovable right <laughs> and so you gotta you gotta just trust God and, and say hey I maybe I might not feel it but I need to act it you know yeah well you talked about moving from Arizona did some time in New York did some time in LA chasing music what was it about music that you saw was worth chasing uh you know my dad was a bluegrass musician when I was okay. a kid and there was always music around uh you know whether it was in a parking lot behind a you know at a festival or somebody passing a bottle around or whatever there yeah. was music happening and so I always wanted to play and then uh you know I, I th- I've actually thought about this a lot lately because I'm still in touch with with a lot of my old friends but back when I was maybe late teens uh I got involved with a group of guys in Arizona that we we started to play music and they became I think a lot in a lot of ways my surrogate family mm-hmm. you know I I really wanted a sense of family and those guys really became that for me and 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 I loved music and um, the weird thing for me was I've I've made a living at at being a musician for so long, but I've I've never really been fascinated with the with becoming like, you know, I guess all my all my friends wanted to be you know Eddie Van Halen in the '80s, and I wanted to be uh, Chris Christopherson. You know, I okay. love lyrics, on Prine and, and yeah. uh, you know Dylan, and you know I I love I was always a words guy. Yeah, you know, people say hey, who's your greatest musical influence? And I'd say like J.D. Salinger. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's like. I've always looked to to words. So I've over the years as a writer, I've I've 
kind of gravitated, you know, you talked about Randy Stonehill and things, you know, or the, the Phil Keggy, Bob Bennett project. Mm -hmm. And I was, I would be more of like a words guy than obviously. Well, when you're standing next to Phil Keggy, you're not the guitar guy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, that's, I think a lot of it. I love the art. I just have always been passionate about art. And, uh, and so it drove me to New York or to uh, LA and to, to play. And, and uh, you know, we were playing in the, in the eighties in LA, the, you know, you played in the originals clubs. It was like, you know, and that was, those were the years of like Striper. Yeah. You know, all these guys, there was a group called, I think it was called Sanctuary or something like that. There was a big group of Christian musicians that were playing all the clubs there. Okay. And uh, even though we weren't metal guys by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but we kind of fell in with that group a lot. And, and we, so we were out playing a lot and doing that in Los Angeles. And um, there was quite a scene there. I mean, it was really uh, an interesting time to be alive as a musician in, yeah. in the 80s. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was kind of the music had, especially in modern culture, music had kind of taken off. The hippies had said, okay, we're going to make music for ourselves. And then in the 80s and 90s, it was like, okay, now let's experiment. What can we make that sound look like? And now I feel yeah. like we're just doing cookie cutter stuff instead of that real exploration, you know, trying to figure out new ways of making sounds. And yeah, lately, I mean, I don't know. In modern Christian music is, I don't listen to a ton of it. So I don't pretend yeah. like I'm an expert, but the stuff I hear reminds me a lot of. 80s u2 you know mm -hmm. i mean it's like it sounds yeah. like it's kind of been done but yeah. yeah there was a real sense of experimentation back then i remember um somebody gave me uh one of larry norman's uh cassettes and i remember listening to that thing because you talk about a words guy you i know, was just was gonna amazing. say yeah and uh i remember um one of our first think times playing in la uh, i looked down on the front row and there's this guy with long blonde hair and i was and i suddenly froze because i think oh, man i think that's larry norman oh yeah and it was kind of cool. After Afterwards, he came straight up and walked up to me. I don't know why, for some reason. Maybe we had made eye contact and said, yeah. hey, man, I'm Larry. Um, hey, you guys want to go get something to eat? And we went out and hung out with Larry Norman for the evening. And I thought we were just massive rock stars at that point, you know, <laughs> sleeping on couches and not, you know, eating borrowed food. But uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. But yeah. But I mean, those were the days, you know, where there was a, there were a lot of, you know, in, 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 in all music there, it was it was a really, you know, the seventies were stretching into the eighties and, mm -hmm. and people were trying to figure out, Hey, what's, what's next, you know, what can we do different? And it was a pretty cool time. So was it while you were in LA that you hooked up with Randy Stonehill? No. Well, um, no. In fact, you know, it's funny. I was at a studio in LA back then. Uh, I don't remember why somebody invited us down to hear a mix. It was actually, there was somebody was mix mixing. I think it was a Petra record. Okay. And so we were sitting there and, and the producer said, Hey, let's call, let's call Stonehill. And they were joking around about something and called, called Randy Stonehill. And I was like, and what would it be like to just be able to pick up the phone and call Randy Stonehill, you know? <laughs> yeah. But uh, well, it was, no, I didn't meet Randy uh, really until uh, some years ago. Uh, it, and it was, um, I had done some touring and, um, and done a lot of Israel travel and uh, with a specific um, ministry. Um, and I was invited to go as a writer with uh, Randy and Phil Keggy and Bob Bennett. You'd mentioned mm -hmm. that. And yeah. we'll do a tour of Greece and kind of a, kind of the journeys of Paul. And then, a, um, and then this very strange, quick Israel trip. And uh, yeah, it was funny. We, we were in, uh, we got to, I think we had to catch a, a plane from Athens to Jerusalem or to Tel Aviv. Okay. And it was something had gotten mixed up and we got on this plane. It was literally like one of those buses with like chickens hanging from the roof. You know, it was like one of those things we <laughs> We got to uh, we got to Tel Aviv, and I think only one guitar made it, and so we got to travel around with bar, you know, passing a guitar around and oh, stuff. Funny. But anyway, I got to know 
Randy on that trip, we came yeah. back and, and the purpose was to write that record, basically songs for Israel. And, yeah. um, uh, and uh, you know, I hit it, I hit it off with all of them. I love, I love those guys. Um, yeah. I still talked to Bob and Randy quite a bit. I haven't um, heard or talked to Phil in a while, quite a while, but um, Randy and I really hit it off kind of as, you know, just hanging out and writing. And so that sort of turned into, Hey, let's write some song- more songs together. And uh, you know, he's a, an incredible songwriter yeah. and challenged me greatly. And so we sat in a lot of hotel rooms and wrote songs, you know, written songs. And, and so that's kind of how I came to be with Randy. And that yeah. sort of turned into, hey, let's do some dates. And we did quite a bit of traveling and quite a bit of touring. And yeah, yeah. Fine. Actually, no, you know what? Let me let me go back a little bit. I'd met Randy before that. And for some reason, I was doing a couple opening dates for him. Oh, fun. And I remember being in, uh, I forgot all about this. I remember being in... Um, uh, we did a, a date in a theater in Moscow, Idaho, which is just south of Coeur d'Alene, about an, uh, maybe an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. And uh, and we had to drive back. And I remember asking him, I'll never forget it. It was a beautiful summer night, full moon. And one of the way, the, you know, after my, some of my wandering days, one of the ways that God really got me back was through a book that um, Melody Green wrote called No Compromise, you know, The Life of Keith Green. And, right. and uh, that book wrecked my essentially wrecked my secular music career and brought mm. me back to the Lord in a lot of ways. And so I was very curious about Keith Green and he and Randy was mentioned in that. I knew his yeah. history with Keith. And so I asked him, hey, you know, can you tell me about Keith Green? And so I got to sit in a van uh, driving through a summer night for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, just listening to firsthand Keith wow. Green story. Yeah. That was amazing. That was really my first uh, Randy experience. Yeah. And then we, you know, went our separate ways and it was a some years later that we got back, you know, hooked up and I don't even know if you remembered who I was, but, you know, um, <laughs> getting back for that, for that trip to Israel and, and doing that record. So, yeah. So yeah, that turned into Stonehill and Storm, uh, yep. a couple of projects, recording projects, which I'm still very proud of. I think those are great, great uh, recording projects. I think there's some really good material on those. Breath of God one and two, right? Yeah. 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 So Breath of God one was sort of a, but feel the feeling out the waters, you know, and uh, Breath of God 2 is essentially just fleshing that out, adding, I think, four or five songs mm, okay. uh, going into a studio down in Los Gatos, California, uh, with a guy named incredible uh, uh, engineer and producer named Joe Weed, okay. who's done a lot of uh, Ken Burns documentary stuff. Oh, and yeah. um, we wound up doing a recording with him. And, and so that, yeah, turned into a really great project. So was the trip to Israel, you mentioned that you'd gone with a group that, uh, a, a mission organization, was that kind of the genesis of the book that you put out called Finding Jesus in Israel? I mean, I guess if, if you go way back to the genesis, but I've, you know, that was a trip where, we, you know, um, you go to Israel as a tourist and you're, it's a wonderful experience, especially for a first timer who's, you know, grown up hearing Bible stories. And, but one thing I didn't really love about it is you're kind of on a bus with a lot of Americans and you get off the bus with a lot of Americans and you, you see uh, a site and you yep. on the bus and you go to a gift shop and you go, you know, please exit the gift shop. That's what I wanted to name that book, but they wouldn't let me. And, uh, so I'd, I'd gone back a couple times um, just kind of as, as uh, traveling with a lot more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, one time going, buddy we rented a car drove all over the place just spent time with actual people that's the kind of traveling I really enjoy and then I wound up taking a couple small groups um, doing it really differently not the buses I'd rent a van in Tel Aviv just go rent a van at the at the rental place take like five or six people and we just go drive all over and see you know we still you could still go to the sites but you know um, 
going to a grocery store, going to a pub, going to uh, wherever we felt like going into a coffee house and, and meeting, you know, people and yeah. seeing people. And so that's kind of more what, what happened with that book. I had my literary agent um, was had to ask me for a couple of years, Hey man, it would be really cool if you wrote a book about some of those experiences. And I, I kept telling him no, because I've, I, you know, I've, I know a lot of very, very brilliant thinkers as, and, and, you know, David Hawking and, and, mm. you know, Josh McDowell and like these guys that, that can write real books about Israel yeah. and really about, you know, eschatology and all these things. And I'm like, man, I'm just a songwriter and, and, you know, uh, an experiencer. And yeah. so he finally said, Hey man, look, can you just write one chapter? And so I wrote a chapter about this kid um, I met on a place called the Ramparts Walk, which is on top of the old city wall in Jerusalem. Okay. And it's this Palestinian kid in a, in a SpongeBob t-shirt that uh, conned me out of some money, even though I knew I was being conned <laughs> the whole time, you know, and him and his buddy. And and so I wrote, I just said, I'll write about that kid because yeah. I think that's Israel to me, yeah. you know, yeah. and about how it, at the, in the end, how, how, how precious that little guy is to God, you know? And so I wrote, I wrote a, a, a chapter and it was, you know, kind of funny and kind of, you know, I don't know, just, the what I the way I think about Israel and sure. anyway that turned into a book deal. Um, he 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 got we got an offer from uh, Worthy Publications. It's now on uh, Hachette Books. Um, but um, yeah, my agent called me back and said, "Hey, they want you to do this, but they want it in in ninety days." Oh so, so I had ninety days to write that. So basically, I sat down and I would I'd, I'd pray, go go hike a little bit, and uh, and then come back and write. And that's how that book came to be. And I, you know, I really like that book. It, it's, I think it's very kind of personal, but um, it's been neat to see the evolution. It's, it's, I think it's 30 or 31 fairly short chapters and okay. each one's kind of story. And it's sort of, I've heard, I've get emails sometimes from people that have used it for a devotion or, mm. you know, like a monthly devotional and it's been really cool, but yeah, yeah. that's kind of how that all came about. It's, it's called finding Jesus in Israel. So I'm curious about the transition from rock star or, Rockstar wannabe, maybe, uh, to somebody who's now writing writing long, long form writing into writing books. That's not a three minute song. Now we're talking about thirty one chapters. How did that transition take place for you? Yeah, yeah, and that thirty one chapters was a short one. Um, <laughs> like I said, I grew up as a words guy, you know, and I, I mean, I I've been an avid reader since I was really young. I mean, reading Louis L'Amour books under the covers with a flashlight, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and moving on to everything I could possibly ever read. I, and I still read a lot. And uh, I always thought that I'd be a writer. Actually, I, I loved music and I loved playing, but I remember when my wife and I got married in 89 and our, on our application for our first apartment, I lied and said I was a writer. And, uh, <laughs> for, but I was planning on being yeah. a writer. It was some years ago, I, I had written a, a couple chapters and, and uh, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago now. and. I just thought, you know, I really want to do this. Hmm. And so I wrote, I just went ahead and wrote a book and knowing nothing about writing books. So I, when you say a three minute song, I figured, Hey, it's like writing a really long song. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, how hard can it be? It's just words. Right. <laughs> and so it was, it was kind of nice, you know, being, being in the um, somewhat in, in an industry, you know, there's, they, they don't cross over a lot, but I did know, you know, I had some friends that were, that were that new people. And so I, my manuscript I call it a manuscript this is like this is very loose language right here okay I got passed on to a really nice lady uh, her name was Kimberly Woodhouse and she she read it and she called me and said hey um 
you know, I think you have a really good voice for writing, but you have absolutely no idea how to write a book. <laughs> and she, oh, she beat me up pretty good. And, but she was so nice. And she said, Hey, I'd love to, I'd love to just, you know, coach you, talk you through some yeah. things. And she was just nice enough to take the time to do that. And I went back and I, I read every possible thing I could read on the craft. I studied, I kind of put myself through Google school, you yeah. know, on bought a bunch of books and, yeah. and, um, uh, it took, took some time. I wrote, I rewrote that book. It was called the miracle man. It was my first novel. And I wrote, rewrote that probably three times, I would think. Okay. Um, and then I got to the point where, okay, I think I'm ready to, to step forward. And, and at that point you can, you say, you know, as anybody who's in the author world, you know, that you either go traditional publishing or self-publishing, right. you know, and there's a lot okay. of both and a lot of merit to both. I felt like I wanted to go traditional publishing at that point. I don't know if it was an ego thing or what. I just, I wanted to, I think I wanted to, somebody to say, yeah, you can actually do this. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so the first step for that is you have to land, you have to somehow secure a literary agent. That's mm -hmm. your only, you know, that's your doorway into gotcha. the publishing world. And so I'd, I'd read a lot about that and they say, Hey, it takes like, you know, you could spend eight months, a year, two years trying to secure a literary agent. And, but I thought I'll start the process. And I just sort of threw it up to God. I picked 12 guys. I remember I picked 12, literary agents online. I, I wrote, did a query letter, did everything mm -hmm. they wanted on their website, sent off my manuscripts and just, and just said, I'll just wait and see what happens. And I got a call back in uh, two hours from, from uh, a Heartline literary, Jim Hart at Heartline. And he said, Hey, I want to, I want to be your agent. And wow. I thought, well, no, that's just too easy. That can't be <laughs> right. You know, like yeah. how much do I have to pay you? You know? And he's yeah. like, no, I really do. And so I told him, well, let me, let me think about it and pray about this because it was so fast, you know? And, yeah. and I, I kind of, I remember coming up to my office, sitting down and praying and God just sort of impressing on me, Hey, you asked me and yeah. I answered. And so I called Jim, I said, Hey, you know, let's, let's do it. And so, yeah. So anyway, he took that book and that got a, a publishing deal turned into a couple more publishing deals and they've been kind of plugging along ever since. And so that's kind of how it all happened. And, and I still am trying to figure out how to write a book, you know, <laughs> you know? I get a lot of good reviews. I get a lot of nice people, but I, I, I also know that I'm figuring it out as I go. It's an endless craft. I oh, mean, I'm there's sure. just, it's endless. So, yeah. I've yeah. tried to write one book now. It was a training book and it's like, that's a lot of work. I can't imagine somebody making that their full-time gig of just, I'm going to sit down and write. That just, that's not where my yeah. mind works. <laughs> yeah. It can be pretty all-consuming. I, I, I've actually taken, um, last year, was pretty uh, pretty stressful writing the last book. I got I got COVID in the early in the year, and that mm -hmm. knocked me back for about three weeks. And that three weeks sort of turned into I don't know how, but I just lost a bunch of time in there mm -hmm. and wound up getting you know past my deadline. It was a lot of stress. I was writing yeah. uh, you know, constantly, not really having a life, and so so I finished that finally. Now I'm taking a little. I'm taking a few months sabbatical, which is really cool. <laughs> I feel like I breathe again you know <laughs> smiling again yeah so. well as i was looking at your books you've got a good mix of fiction and nonfiction. and typically i see most people do one or the other but you kind of do a little yeah. bit of both the things that were interesting to me is you have two books out that uh you've just released called and I, I wrote them down the list and the light and i love the premise of these you're taking biblical times and as close as possible being accurate with biblical times and then writing a story into that Talk a little yeah. bit about those two books. That's a very interesting idea. Yeah. So, so I would, I would call those fiction. I mean, the, the, I would still call those fiction, but fiction with the caveat that we worked really hard. I worked really hard um, uh, to 
make sure that these books were absolutely, you know, having been to Israel quite a few times mm -hmm. and actually I was approached by a ministry um, to, to write the first book. A guy had had an idea that he thought it would be really cool to write something like that, but he didn't know how to write a book. So uh, I prayed about it, thought about it. And his idea was, what if we took something by, you know, like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, mm -hmm. those two guys, because those are the two guys that took Jesus's body at the, you know, off the cross. And right. then, well, one of them was a Pharisee, Nicodemus, we know. The other one was a wealthy man. So probably, the Bible's not specific, but probably a Sadducee, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, which is like, it's like saying Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton got together to take Jesus's body. Yeah. You know, somebody from such polarized opposite. Interesting. Uh, and I thought there was a fascinating story in that because what would, you know, these guys would have had the, you know, prophecy. They would have had scripture. Yeah. Uh, both of experts although they, they approached it saw it completely differently if you know this the right. the ones of pharisees and sadducees but um somewhere in there they found common ground to realize hey this is the guy you know this is mm. this is him this is the messiah and so i i, I said yeah I, I think i'd like to write this book so i just took it and ran with it and wrote a wrote a book with uh you know there's a lot of a lot of prophetic angle in it what they would have read what they would have seen there's kind of a study guide at the end of it too um but um yeah, I thought that was a fascinating thing. And I had never really seen anything or read anything that I thought would have really laid out, particularly Jerusalem, uh, as like what it was really like in the mm -hmm. day, which mm -hmm. is a fascinating place, even if for those who have been there uh, as many times as I have. Um, it's, it was a completely different place. I mean, you had the city of David, you had Mount yeah. Zion, you had the temple, which was a, this immense and amazing place. So writing a, a, you know, fiction, true fiction, I guess you'd kind of call it sure. against that backdrop was, was really kind of thrilling to do. And uh, it's been great. Uh, so that was, the book was called the list, which, which basically takes place through the, through the kind of the three years of Jesus's ministry uh, his, his uh, active ministry. Okay. It ends just before the resurrection and the light uh, picks up uh, at the resurrection and follows through to Pentecost. So it's just, okay. a, it's just a 50 day journey. But um, what I really enjoyed writing in those was even though there, these were spectacular times and, and massive ideas and uh, massive world events uh, I think because this is the God I know that God was still acting personally yeah. with, with a loving heart towards people. And so, yeah, yeah I really, and so the second book um, deals both with, it just still deals with Nicodemus and, and uh, Joseph and Marathia, but also with a girl who doesn't even have a name or name's sister. And she's a, mm -hmm. basically a lower city prostitute and her journey to find identity and uh, value in her crashing into the person of Jesus. Sure. So they've been, it's been great. Um, great books for ministry. I get so much uh, response from those books, uh, people saying how they've affected their lives. And So do you find it easier to write that kind of a book where you have kind of this fact-based background uh, that you're playing off of, or you're like the son of the sound mates, which is completely fiction. Okay, granted, you're in Hollywood, you've got some landmarks that people would recognize, but you're making everything up there Versus where yeah. the Bible account, you've got it well, and I think we, before we pushed record, you said that any time that the characters interacted with Jesus, you're actually using Jesus' words out of the Bible. So there's yeah. a little bit of a narrative that's already built for you. How does that difference work for you? 
Uh, I find the uh, writing that uh, where you're trying to be actual fact, you know, you're being factual. Uh, you know, there's a scene in the in the in the first book that takes place at, at Passover. And so there's so much going on at an, at an early first century Jewish Passover that we don't really catch with with mm. our Western eye. Um, you know, there's so much there was so much study that went into that book and so much um, conferring with uh uh, scholars and um, both um, Christian and Jewish, um, like you know, there was so much that went into that. Yeah, and then for me, a heavy responsibility to say, okay, I'm dealing with, you know, uh, I'm not writing about a detective in Hollywood. You right. know, I'm not just making this junk up. This is yeah. like I, I have a responsibility to uh, before the Lord for this. And, and so I found that I find it uh, both rewarding and very very difficult. Um, where and writing what what. Uh, has been labeled uh, literary Americana, which is my other kind of genre. My other right. books, my other novels are uh, mostly small town America stuff. I don't know. It's that's just fun stuff, you know. Okay. I mean, you're just making stuff up, you know. I'm not an outliner or planner when I write. You know, I know a lot of writers and a lot of guys that you know. Uh, you know, I one friend of mine up here is uh, Frank Peretti. You know, he lives oh, locally. Sure. And, and I didn't I've know heard, that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's here in Coeur d'Alene, but he he spends about he said he spends about two years just planning a book out, you know. And oh wow, or I've tried to do that. I'm horrible at it. I'm not nearly <laughs> organized. I rarely know what day it is, you know. And um, so I uh, I'm more of a kind of a fly by the seat of my pants guy when I write, and that's a lot of fun for me. Yeah. I mean, you never you know you're just letting the characters run wherever they're going to run, and what kind of I think of it as just writing down the movie that's playing out in my head, you sure. know. And, so that's that's just kind of free form and fun and there's no responsibility which of course is more fun but then you know you've also <laughs> got the you've also got the reward of saying hey I think I've really written some value here you know which I hope all of it has value I hope because you know as an artist you want everything to, in you to speak from your heart but so I, I I would I do find the uh the the historical fiction um uh historical true fiction more difficult I would say well, and I, I guess what you alluded to earlier is the fact that uh, you, when you were doing Google University to learn how to become a writer, you forgot to look at the planning course, right? You don't. I never. To... <laughs> or if I looked at it, I thought, "No, nah, I don't want to do that." That's yeah. Well, well, look at looking back over the stuff you've done so far: writing books, traveling in Israel, traveling with you know uh, musicians, New York. Do you have a specific moment in your life you look back and go, "Oh my goodness, God, I can't believe." That you put me in this place at that time and let me experience that. If kind of, I, I call it a pinch me moment. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I mean, probably so many. Um, you know, just as far as you know, as this being a music archive, um, I would think one of them was uh, when I was younger, like in my very very early days. I don't remember how, but I got a, a copy of one of Phil Keggy. I think it was Town to Town. Oh, uh, his record. Oh my goodness. And listen to that, and listen to that, and listen to that, and listen to that. And I remember um, standing on stage after uh, Songs for Israel and Phil Keggy um, playing. In fact, there's a YouTube video of it. Uh, I wrote a song on that record called uh, The Garden. And uh, Phil does a, this um, nylon string guitar solo live on stage. I have to read in the garden. I've rested in the sound of Spanish hymns Filled with the mystery of pardon And the wondering grace bestowed to men 
Keggy playing on a song that I wrote you know I just it, it was amazing to me I mean that was like the, for me that was one of them um, the other one I remember um, from a from a Christian musical history perspective uh, being in a church in Georgia and doing Love Broke Through with Randy on stage and thinking wow man I mean this this is a song that really spoke to me when I was a kid you know and, yeah. uh, and those were two I mean musical moments for me that were big but I mean I've had a very strange life I've met so many celebrities and famous people in both uh both christian music and secular music over the years and uh, had a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of experiences but those two those two really stand out when i really think about it yeah and then of course there's you know getting when i got my first publishing deal that was you know i felt like i was in a dream a little bit like, yeah you find somebody there's some validation there um just taking it out of that realm i remember one time doing a I was in a prison with a, with a friend of mine. He's an ex-biker. Now he's a pastor. And I was doing some ministry in a prison uh, here in Idaho. I was playing a song and um, I just felt called to play a different song. And so I kind of stopped in the middle and had my eyes closed and I was playing. And, you know, you feel the Holy Spirit, you know, press in and you can feel something since that God's doing something heavy. And I remember opening my eyes and seeing everybody in the place, all everybody in the whole room, like down on their faces on the ground. Wow. And, God doing an interaction. And, and I remember in that moment thinking, man, Buck, you are so insignificant in this, uh, in this moment wow. because God is, has an appointment. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a big one. I remember another time at that, in that same doing ministry at that same uh, place. And it was, I remember cause it was winter. It was, I think it was 20 below zero. It's up in the mountains. And I was, we had to load out into this van, you know, and, yeah. and uh, I, I had a song that I written about and for my grandpa called the fisherman's song. I wrote it years ago. And, um, and uh, I remember, I don't, I didn't play it live very often, but I felt kind of called to play that that night. I don't know why, I just felt in the mood to play it. You know, sure, it wasn't. Yeah. Like, I'm not like answering like you know, not like Elijah. And you know, yeah. <laughs> I played it, and uh, I was out, and uh, there were some guys, some uh, some of the guys in the orange jumpsuits, you know, taking out trash, and and one of them said, "Hey, man, can I talk to you?" And the guard kind of held him back, and then and then decided to let him come talk to me. And I'm freezing, you know, I, I just want to get in the van. <laughs> yeah. And he rolled up his sleeve, and and. Uh, he had a deep sea fishing pole on his uh, tattooed on his forearm. And he said, Hey man, you know, uh, my grandpa, cause I told the story of my grandpa in the, in the night. And he said, my grandpa used to go down to Mexico and, and he'd take me fishing uh, as an excuse to tell me about Jesus. And he said, obviously I didn't listen, you know, mm, Yeah. but he said, I want to let you know, I accepted Christ tonight. And, and, and uh, I, I want to change that. That was a big one for me. That was like, 
you know, those moments where I think as a, a anybody, you know, I think you, anybody of faith, it doesn't matter if you're in the arts or, or where you are, the moments where you go, oh man, that wasn't, that had nothing to do with me. That was, yeah. I just got to be, you know, God's kid uh, who he hands a paintbrush and, and lets him play around with the paint on the fence while God's yeah. really painting. Yeah. You know, you can be that guy and, and to see that. So there's, there's been so many of those over the years, you, you know, little things. And, and I, I can only hope that we'll hear about a lot more when we get to heaven, you know, mm -hmm. things that happened and that you don't even know about. But I think it's pretty wonderful that God sometimes will give us little, little glimpses like that, just to, yeah. just to let us know that, Hey, you know, I know it's 20 degrees and all the hairs in your nose are frozen, but there was a reason, you know, yeah. for it. So, yeah. And after all, I think most humanity, we want affirmation that we're doing what's right. And to be able to hear God speak would be wonderful, but oftentimes it's these, uh, okay, I see, I get it. Yeah. 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 And I think we've been really blessed in that, uh, you know, we have done a ton of small stuff and I mean, uh, you know, small churches, a lot of rural places, a lot of farm, farm towns everywhere from, you know, the South to Hawaii, to Central America, to Israel, you know, I mean, yeah. we've, we've, you know, my wife and I have traveled and done a lot, a lot of stuff. And, and uh, we've been really blessed to see kind of the backside of all of it, you know, and we never, you know, we're not big stars or anything. We just got to tag along and watch God work in some pretty wonderful ways. And sometimes it wouldn't even be me. So I remember times being in towns where uh, my wife had a, an appointment there, you know, you could see that God had an appointment for her to minister to somebody. Mm, and yeah. And, and me just, oh, I guess we're going to hang out here for a couple of days while she does her thing, you know? And, yeah. you know, we've seen that, I've seen it so many times that God is real and has his own will and exists outside of my will. And if I ever try to put him in a box, he just splinters it. And so, you know, it's, it's pretty wonderful to see. Well, what's coming up next for Buck and uh, the author or the musician or uh, what, what's in the next season after your sabbatical here? Yeah, a couple things. I, I'm getting the itch to write. I have to sit down and write a slew of uh, uh, articles for um, guidepost devotionals. I've never heard of guidepost. Oh, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I write quite a bit for those guys every year. I gotta. I just realized that I have a looming deadline. I have to do that. Um, <laughs> probably start this week. Um, uh, we've got uh, my third book in the uh, the the sound the sun makes. The first one was called the beautiful ashes of of Gomez Gomez. The second one is the sound of the sound the sun makes. And the third one, Venus Sings the Blues, is going to be out, um, I think, in the uh, late spring, early summer. So that's coming out. Uh, so and then, uh, yeah, and then something that's been a blast. I mean, it, I, I can't even explain how fun it is. It's just playing with the Buckley Storms with my right. son. We're just, we just got out of the studio and have a single called Wings that'll be hitting Spotify here probably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, okay. With some stuff and, and uh going back in the studio and that'll i think that's going to turn into a vinyl here within the next few months or, or six months maybe sure. uh maybe a, yeah an ep vinyl so that's been a lot of fun and just watching watching that happen and explode and, and realizing that uh that even though you're not playing necessarily in churches but you see god's hand moving and, and you, yeah. you, you know you hear these little weird stories and you go wow man you know no matter what i do it seems like god gets involved and so yep. yeah it's, it's so fun so people who are intrigued by a your music, the Buckley Storms, what's yeah. the best place for them to find more information about about you and the work you're doing? Yeah, for me specifically, is very very difficult to remember. It's buckstorm.com. Very good. Yeah, and uh, sign up to the email list. I I, I I try to be somewhat faithful. I'm not very good at it, but you know I I there 
got a pretty extensive email list. We try to send things out, let people know what's happening with new books, you know, sometimes giveaways, free stories, uh, music, if that's going on. Um, uh, the Buckley Storms, uh, the BuckleyStorms.com is, is the Buckley Storms website, but okay. uh, that'll also, I'm sure, be crossover to my website too. So yeah, so a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, yeah, just, I'd love to connect with your listeners out there if anybody wants to, to say hello. Buck, I end every episode the same way. Every Saturday, I send out a newsletter asking folks to pray for musicians. We have a number of people who've committed to doing that and people who are not necessarily doing music right now, but who have. So how specifically can we be praying for you in the weeks and the months that are coming up? You know, I think just that God would illuminate our our path. You know, we're always making decisions in life. And uh, uh, I know that I need to... uh, I'm looking for some specific direction from the Lord for a third book in the list in the light. Um, I, I, ha- I think it's going to be called The Letters um, and going to maybe deal with some of uh, uh, built around the Apostle Paul somewhat, I okay. think. So I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear from the Lord uh, with some inspiration on that. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like yet, but I, I feel it, it uh, bubbling under the surface. I have a feeling it's going to come. And so... Yeah, so just direction on uh, on future future writing projects and music projects and, and just life in general, you know. Um, I always feel uh, so blessed because our life here in Idaho is really pretty darn good. God just take, takes care of us, you know, everybody's healthy in our home. Our, our kids are walking with the Lord and uh, we have two granddaughters now that are just a light in our lives. and. But uh, yeah, but I would, you know, just, I think God's protection, God's providence and God's direction, you know, that's what we, we all want. Thanks, Buck. I really appreciate you taking time to chat with us today. Isn't it fun going behind the scenes with some of these creative people? I especially enjoyed hearing about Buck's God appointments, as he called them, times when he was in the right place at the right time for God to use him to minister to someone. I think about the freezing prison yard where he talked with the inmate who gave his life to Christ, or for all the study and preparation Buck's done to write books that have inspired action in people. All of these God appointments were nothing that Buck could have planned. So how did Buck prepare for those God-appointed encounters? Well, he dug in. He studied using Google University and other things. He practiced and he honed his craft so that he was ready for God to use him. So what would it look like for you and me to be prepared for the God appointments in our lives? 1 Peter 3.15 says it this way, Honor Christ and let him be the Lord of your life. Always be ready to give an answer when someone asks you about your hope. Part of being ready is to know what you believe in to have that relationship with Christ. And that's likely going to come through your daily walking with Jesus, recognizing what he does for you. Being grounded in God's word will definitely help with that. Helping know the details of Jesus' teaching provides us a reference for our beliefs. Through those experiences and our relationship with God, God is going to provide us divine wisdom that we read about in Luke 21. Jesus says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. This week, let's work on preparing for our God encounters. 
let's commit to being aware of the difference a relationship with Jesus makes in our own life so that when the opportunities arise, we are prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. This week, I featured Buck Storm's song, The Garden, with special guest Phil Kagey. This song comes from his album, Songs for Israel, and I'd like to thank Buck for the permission to share it with you. As always, I encourage you to stop by Buck's website and pick up a copy of his music or even his books directly from his website. This is the best way to support the work he is doing, and I'll put a link to Buck's website in the show notes. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories about God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you reach out and say hello? You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn simply by searching for at CCM Exchange. Or you can also drop me a line on the webpage christianmusicarchive.com. Next week, I'm talking with Greg Martin of the Kentucky Headhunters. Greg is a guy who works in mainstream music, but has a heart for God. He's also done some great work with Christian artists like Daryl Mansfield and Bride, so be sure to come back next week to hear Greg's story. To close things out this week, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to remind you this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. It's time for another Mischievous Mowers Miscellaneous Misquotes. A Mexican magician tells his audience that he's going to disappear on the count of three. He says, uno, dos, poof. He disappears without a trace. <laughs>